Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Rich, young ruler comes to Jesus asking about eternal life. Jesus responds first off with, you must keep the commandments, names a few of the commandments, in which the young man speaks up and says, I've done all that. I've, I've done all that. What else, do I, what else do I need to do? And then our wise and glorious Savior looks him in the eyes. And understanding is hard as what you need to do. To be perfect. Uses the word perfect. That word perfect there is not really what we think of in perfection. But it's talking about to be complete. To be whole. To have what you're looking for. He says what you need to do is sell all that you have. And give it away and serve the Lord. Amen. The Bible says then a very uh, frustrating and sad commentary that the young man walks away sorrowfully because he had much. Because he had much. The young man had a vision for his life. And a vision for his life Maintain that he be a rich young ruler. And the vision for his life probably maintained that even when he was no longer young, he would still be a rich ruler. That he would go from a rich young ruler to a rich old ruler was the vision of his life. And when Jesus challenged the vision of his life, and called him to something drastically different. He could not seem to make the step. You know, an area of struggle that many can fall into is simply this. Trying to force our vision for other people's lives upon them. Has anybody ever done that before? It's not usually nefarious in nature. It's often done out of love or concern but you just, you just don't think that they're doing what they should be doing. There's a better way and a better path and a better decision. Maybe, maybe the decision they made or the avenue they took is not bad, but you just you think there's a better one and you want something better for them and perhaps you want better for them than they want for themselves. And The issue, though, that we must consider is not what other people should be doing with their lives. The issue is that what should I be doing with my life? It can be easy to shift the focus on other people's lives as not to have the focus on my own. It's easier to point out other people's stuff Can I get an amen? Amen. It's easier to show other people's shortcomings 
It's easier to talk about what they should be doing than it would be to think of what I should be doing. God begins with our personal salvation, and we are called to grow from there. I talked about growth this morning. I talked about the milk of the word and the meat of the word and spiritual maturity. God saves us, and then he says, now there's more work to do. God saves us and then says, now there's some stuff I want to teach you because I've got a purpose for your life. I've got a reason for you. And all of us, all of us could take it a little more seriously at times. We could take our salvation a little more seriously and what God means by saving us a little bit more seriously. The Philippians 2 and 12, it says within that verse that we are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. Amen. I preached about disciple makers today. We are called to be witnesses and we are called to involve ourselves in other people's lives and get them to the cross. But that does not negate the reality that I have to work out my own salvation. That I cannot save them, but I have to work out my own salvation. And I need to do it with fear and trembling. As one commentator puts it, such fear involves a self-distrust, a sensitive conscience, and being on guard against temptation. That's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. It necessitates uh, 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 opposing our personal pride and being constantly aware of the deceitfulness of our own heart as well as of the subtlety and strength of one's inner corruption. I gotta work out my own salvation. I gotta look in the mirror once in a while. I gotta take stock of who I am. I can point out everybody else's stuff, but I need to make sure I know who I am and where I am and what I'm doing. Can I get an amen even though that's not fun preaching? Oh, hallelujah. It's a dread that seeks to avoid anything that would offend and dishonor God. That's what it means to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I want to avoid anything that doesn't honor the Lord. I want to avoid anything that God is not pleased with. And as we begin to mature in this area and we commit to a consistent walk with God, our minds are made up. And when our minds get made up, it starts showing in our activity. Oh, hallelujah. It starts showing in how we behave and faithfulness to God and faithfulness to his word. They become a, a man without discussion or question. And we start to live with for God without thinking about it so much. I said we live for God without thinking about it so much. Amen. We don't wake up every day determining whether or not I'm going to be a Christian today or not. We don't wake up every day determining whether or not I'm going to be faithful to the things of God today or not, or if I'm going to be faithful to spiritual disciplines today or not. We don't, we don't think about it so much. And, and you know that when you're not thinking about it so much, but you're doing it, uh, amen, that you're starting to mature and grow in the Lord because uh, there's some things I've just made up my mind about. And the world might as well quit trying to change my mind and my family might as well just quit talking about it and my friends might as well just quit talking about it and anyone else might as well just shut up about it because I've determined in my heart I've set my face towards heaven and I'm going to live to please the Lord you get to a place in your spiritual maturity where you don't have to debate with yourself anymore because you've made a decision in your soul oh hallelujah 
And our vision, when we, when we get to that place, our vision begins to change. As we grow in God and mature in God, our vision begins to change. At the beginning of God, our relationship with God, our vision is just about not going to hell. Right? I just don't want to die and be eternally in hellfire. But that's not how we're supposed to live forever with God. As we spiritually mature in God, we start to get new vision. Somebody say new vision. vision. Amen. And that new vision that comes into our life brings with it the only reality of a good life. It's a God vision for a good life. As I'm off to do, I typed in how to have a good life into Google. You guys know by now that I enjoy doing that just because I like to see what seems there's a little bit of discrepancy. There were some old, some of those aristocrats, some of those Aristotle-type people trying to remember the one can't think of his name. Even if I could think of it, I probably couldn't pronounce it right. But he was one of the first ones recorded in history as determining what a good life was. And his answer was pleasure. Pleasure. A good life is just a life that is full of pleasure. Well, the Bible negates that one. So we got to find something else. Right? And there's a lot of other people piping in. This is what a good life is. This is what a good life is. There's the largest scientific study that's ever been done, or the longest study, is of like 275 people that they've been studying for like 75 years. They've been studying these people, the same group of people. And they came up with some stuff. And it's interesting enough, if you want to look at it, I'm not preaching a scientific study tonight. It's interesting enough, and some of it makes a little bit of sense. Talks about who the people we are that we have in our life. Talks about how we handle stress and stuff in our life. Talks about things that you would think it would talk about, but, but really that's, that's not it because it doesn't get to the, the core of a person. It doesn't get to the spirit of a person. It doesn't get to the eternal. We need to get to the eternal. Amen? So we get a vision for our life and it begins to grow and we begin to make this consistency towards God and, 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 and we, we understand that it's no longer about just thinking about sin and sin when it is finished leads to death and it's not just thinking about my sins being blotted out. It's not just uh, uh, the, this flesh that I'm dealing with all the time, but now it's about the spirit. It's about developing, amen, the, the God outside of me. It's about developing who I am in Christ. Becoming everything that God intended and created me to become and overcoming the obstacles of my own fears and doubts and discouragement. It's God showing me how to overcome the obstacles of opposition and all of these types of things that come into our life and our vision begins to change. 
Saul, before he becomes the well-known apostle Paul, he had a vision for his life. When he was Saul, he had a vision for his life. It was one of education. It was one of position. It was one of religion. It was a vision that Saul was completely devoted to. People do not only devote themselves fully to righteous endeavors. Some people are fully devoted to unrighteousness. People don't just devote themselves fully to morally right things. Some people are fully devoted to sinful lifestyles. They're all in. They're all in. And, and, and so some give themselves wholeheartedly to that which even opposes God himself. They're, they just give their whole self to something that opposes God. And we are introduced to Saul, who becomes Paul, at the literal stoning of Stephen. In Acts 8.1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at the time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. I want you to understand what this verse is actually saying. The descriptions are vivid and powerful in their meaning. He was consenting unto his death. That word consenting actually means he thought well of it. He was gratified with it. It pleased him. Saul was consenting, not I'm going to go hide my head over here consenting, not I don't really like what you're doing, but I'm afraid to speak up consenting. No, Paul was pleased that they were stoning Stephen to death. And why was he pleased that they would take up stones and kill a man by bludgeoning him to death with those stones because he was completely committed to his life's vision? He was completely committed to what he was about. And the Bible says he made havoc of the church. It means to defile the church. It means to dishonor the church. It means to devastate the church. He was not just following orders. He was not a, a, a hired gun, if you will. He was taking pleasure in not only shutting them down, uh, but dishonoring them in the process. Why is he so negative and nasty? Why is he like that? Is he, is he some drunkard sinner on the street? No, no, he comes from a great lineage. He's got a great family tree. He's a highly educated man. Is he just some bum loser? No, he's respected in the community. There's a lot of people that look up to him. Hey, man, he is living out his life's vision. which is why we have such a drastic encounter with the Lord. Acts 9 and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, any Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He didn't care. He was going to tie up the women too, and he was going to drag them all to Jerusalem, and he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters. He was mad. He was living out his vision. 
vision. This is what he was called to do in his mind. This is what he was supposed to do. This was his purpose, and he was doing it with anger and bitter, and he was doing it with hatred, and he was doing it in all of these ways. Uh, he might bring them in Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shone right around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth. And he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Oh, hallelujah. I want you to understand something about that, that verse there. The Lord does not say, why persecutest thou my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Oh, hallelujah. I want you to remember that the next time you're opposed for doing what God called you to do. I want you to remember that the last time you're reviled for living for the Lord. I want you to remember that the next time somebody looks down at you because you're consecrated and sold out to the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to remember that next time the government tries to do something ridiculous and persecute Christianity. You just remember. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? That's my bride and my body that you're messing with. You better stop. Why are you persecuting not me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And then he says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will Thou have me to do. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus. And he was three days without sight, no vision. And neither did he eat nor drink. I want you to understand this about our God tonight. God loves us enough to knock us down. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. If you've been there, you know amen is the right response. If you haven't been there, well, it's probably coming. God loves us enough to knock us down when our personal vision opposes that which he desires for us, when our personal vision opposes truth going forth, when our personal vision opposes light, amen, going forth into the earth. You can expect some miraculous intervention and they're not all going to be pretty. Oh, hallelujah. You can expect God to get involved, and it's not always going to be pretty. He says, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Kick against the pricks was illustrative. It was illustrative of a, of a, of a farm life at the time. When a farmer was plowing using, using oxen, he would carry what was called an ox goad. It was a long stick with a sharp piece of metal at the end. 
And when he was plowing with the oxen, he would use the ox goad. And he would mostly just lightly touch them with the pointed end of that metal, amen, so that he could direct them. It was one of the ways they directed the oxen. It was not an injuring them. It did not wound them. It was just enough for them to know, okay, I need to go this way now. I need to go that way now. And so he would poke them lightly with the, give them the needed direction. But sometimes the ox would rebel and they would kick out against the prick. And when they would, when he would be touching them with the ox goat and they would kick against it, then it would hurt a lot more. Are you getting the picture? It would then result in that metal being pushed further into their skin and possibly even their flesh. Jesus is telling Saul that his chosen pathway, his personal vision for his life is one of rebellion and will continually have him in the pains of correction. He's telling Saul, you're living the wrong vision. That's not the vision that I created you for. That's not the vision I had in mind when you were in your mother's womb. That's not the vision, amen, that I've destined you for. And when you keep kicking against the pricks, it's going to keep hurting you over and over and over again. Saul does not even argue this fact. He knows there are truth. There's truth in the words that he is hearing from Jesus. He knows there is truth in that. He may never have shared it with anyone else, but there was something inside of Saul that he knew and God knew. And when that conversation happens, instead of finding a paragraph or five more verses or a chapter of Saul saying, well, I don't want to do this and I don't know why you expect me to do that and I've already built up all of this stuff and I've already went to all this schooling and I've already got this name and I'm already respected in this area. Instead of having any of that, you simply get Saul saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. And Paul obeys, but he goes three days without being able to see. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody here, Pastor, tonight, our flesh is going to fight us on God's vision for our life. Our flesh is going to fight us. Our flesh is going to hold on to what it wants with everything that it has. Oh, hallelujah. It's going to hold on to it. All I can tell you is that the longer you kick against the pricks, the more painful it is. I know that's not deep, but it's true. The only answer I have for you is the longer you refuse to step into a God vision of your life and you instead Keep trying your own vision to do it your own way. The longer you do that, the more it's going to hurt. Somebody say praise the Lord. 
And the day that we decide to submit and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just, I just don't want this anymore. Will be the best day of your life. Because a God vision is coming. A God vision is coming. Paul has a conversion experience. And he has a change of vision. And God connects him with a man by the name of Ananias. In Acts 9 and 15, it says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way to Ananias, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He tells Ananias, I want you to go and I want you to meet up with Saul because he's a chosen vessel unto me. Oh, hallelujah. A chosen vessel. The guy that was shutting down the churches. A chosen vessel. The guy that was tying up men and women and dragging them to prison. A chosen vessel. The guy who was pleased watching Stephen bludgeon to death. God says, Ananias, I've got somebody coming your way, brother. And I want you to go meet him because he's a chosen vessel unto me. Oh, hallelujah. Paul's life is transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And his purpose is now clearly defined in the opposite direction of where it was before. Anybody relate to that at all? I was going one way, and then God turned it all the way around. It's the very illustration of repentance. I used to live like this, but then God turned my whole life around, and now I live like this. It's the very illustration of what it means to serve the Lord and honor the Lord and please the Lord. He had a whole new vision for his life. And that is wonderful, and it is worth celebrating and God still does it today. Somebody say praise the Lord. But I want you to remember what we learn very soon afterwards. In Acts 9, 20 through 21, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. Paul did, and that is that he is the son of God, that Christ is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound of the chief priests? Isn't this that guy? God does not wipe away all memory of his past life and activity. God doesn't just swipe his hand over the area and, chew and make everyone forget everything that Saul had ever done. Paul had to deal with people who still saw him as what he used to be. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody tonight. I said he had to deal. He was saved. He was full of the Spirit. He had been baptized in Jesus' name, and he was called to preach, and he was trying to do what God called him to do because his old man had been killed. His old man had been buried. His old man was done, and he wanted to walk into his new life, and when he tried to do it, people said, wait a minute. What are you doing? 
I thought you were here to take these people to prison, and now you're preaching their same message. He had to deal with people who still saw him as what he used to be. And then Paul tries to connect with the church. Even some of them struggle. Oh, not our finest hour. Acts 9, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. I wonder why they thought that. Oh, hallelujah. They're afraid of the guy, and they're like, I don't think he's a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. And that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. So they got it right. It just took them a little while. Because this was the crazy guy. That hated us. And was against everything we did. We were afraid of this man. He, was, he got pleasure from watching people stoned to death. One of which was our dear friend. How forgiving are you going to be, church? What are you going to be able to overlook? Last time I saw this guy, he was standing there with a smile on his face while Stephen was crying out to God and took his last breath and died. And now I'm supposed to sit here and let him preach to me? Ha ha. See, it's, it's, it's not all Pollyanna. And even once the people in his past know he changed and the people of the church welcome him in, we see a couple of verses still in Acts 9 at the beginning of his new God vision for his life that give us a little bit of pause. Acts 9, 23, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. And Acts 9, 29, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. (laughs) That's not illustrative, by the way. That's for real. That's for real. Even after he convinced the old people that he had changed, and after he convinced the church people that he could be accepted, there were still people all over the place that wanted to kill him. And you know why they wanted to kill him? Because he got a God vision for his life. You know why they wanted to take him out? The same reason the devil wants to take out anybody that's got a God vision for their life. Because the moment you quit living for yourself and the moment you start living for God, suddenly you're making an eternal difference. Suddenly you're walking in areas that the devil never thought you were going to walk in. Suddenly you're operating with power and anointing that you were never supposed to have. Suddenly you're not just a toy anymore, but now you are, hallelujah, a weapon in the hand of the mighty God. He had a God vision now, and hell hated it. Oh, hallelujah. He had a God vision now, and it changed everything because a God vision changes everything. Oh, hallelujah. Because a God vision changes everything. 
I'm never going to have my God vision if I'm holding on to my vision. I'm never going to have a God vision if I'm kicking against the pricks. I'm never going to have a God vision if I'm doing what I want to do, how I want to do it. I'm never going to have a God vision if I think I met the commandments, uh, but the Lord says I have to sell everything. I'm not doing that. I'm not sacrificing. I'm a rich young ruler. I'm never going to have a God vision as long as it's about me. But when it becomes about God and what God wants to do in my life, uh, there's a new vision that comes into our lives. And when that new vision comes in, in, Anything is possible. Oh, hallelujah. In his past vision, he had no problem participating in the death of others. But in his new God vision, he was the one who was staying a step ahead of death. Amen. I didn't come to preach some fairy tale message to us tonight. With his God vision, he was in shipwrecks. With his God vision, he took stripes upon his back. With his God vision, he was in jail. With his God vision, he went hungry and naked and wounded. With his God vision, people turned their back on him. With his God vision, all of that happened. But without his God vision, he's just a bitter, evil, terrorist for a short time in history. But with his God vision, he becomes the greatest missionary that ever existed on the face of the earth. And he starts churches around his world with his God vision. Eternities are changed by encounters and conversations that he has. With his God vision, he stands before kings and potentates. With his God vision, even in jail, he prays the jailers through. <laughs> With his God vision, you can lock him up in stocks and the earth will shake to set him free. Oh, hallelujah. You can live for you all you want to live for you, but it's small. That's what I'm trying to get us to understand. You can live for you all you want to do it, but it's small. I, I, I want to say this as nice as I can, but it's, it's petty. It's insignificant. It's not lasting. You can live for you, but it doesn't make a difference. You can live for you, but you're not going to change the world. You can live for you, but oh, if you'll live for God, if you'll get a God vision that takes over your soul, if you'll get a God vision that directs your step, if you'll get a God vision that brings you to places of servitude and sacrifice, God will exalt you in due season, and you will make an impact on your world a God vision is not the moment your life turns into a fairy tale it's not the first day of just pleasantness and perfection for the rest of your life but it will be the first day that you feel purpose and it will be the first day that you know who you are and why you're here, and what you're capable of. 
It will be the first day that you operate in things of eternal value. It will be the first day that your eyes are open and you can see clearly. Music can come. Paul would later offer a summation of his life. The God vision now coming near to the end for him. Second Timothy chapter 4, we read, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, and I have finished. Ah, I finished my course. I completed it. I did what I was supposed to do. I am routinely When I see people who are not living out what God called them to do. When they're not fulfilling their God vision. Somewhere in my youth, I don't know if it was my father. I don't know who it was. But somewhere in my childhood, somebody impressed upon me to not live your life with regret. And maybe it's because I've been in ministry now for so many years that that's just been so emphasized. But there's something heartbreaking to me about people who get to certain stages of life and just have regrets. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. If only. Oh, hallelujah. Hear me, children. You don't have to regret your childhood. Hear me, teenagers. You don't have to regret your teenage years. You hear me, hyphen and young adults. Uh, you don't have to become adult uh, and regret what your hyphen years look like. Hear me, amen, young people and young couples in middle age. You do not have to get to some place in your life and have all kinds of regrets and wish you had done it completely different if you will get a hold of the God vision for your life. And I want to remind somebody who is sitting here tonight saying that's good for you to say, preacher, but I can't go back and change the things that I did. And you know who else couldn't go back and change it? Paul. Paul couldn't go back and change anything that he did either. But yet when the end of his days came upon him, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have completed. Come to the end of my course. I've done what I was supposed to do. Why? How is that possible? How can you use the first half of your life for evil? How can you use the first half of your life for no good and somehow he's sitting in your deathbed and thinking about how you've completed it and you've done good because that's the power of a God vision in your life. That's the miraculous power of once you step out of your vision and your will and you say, not my will, but thy will be done. God can take you at any stage of life that you are in, no matter where you are at. He can take you to places that you didn't think were possible and do things you didn't think you could do so that you could live without regret. Oh, 
finished my course. Ah. And, and I didn't just get done. I didn't just cross the finish line. I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Oh, hallelujah. How does a man beaten? How does a man bloodied? How does a man shipwrecked? How does a man hungered, imprisoned? How does a man like that keep the faith? He kept the faith because he wasn't walking. That didn't happen in his vision. That happened in God's vision for his life. And when God, when God allows it, and when God brings it in, it's a whole different thing than when I bring it in. When I end up in the pit because of my nonsense, that's nothing like Joseph in the pit. Joseph ends up in the pit because of other people's nonsense and because there's a whole lot of stuff there that God is going to use that pit to teach us. And we still learn from it today the power of everything that happened because of that pit. That's the difference. I can end up in a pit because of my nonsense and my sin and my failure and my all of my, my issues of my flesh. And it will just be destructive and it'll just be painful and it'll just be time-consuming. Or I can end up in a pit because it's part of God's vision for my life and it will change the world. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Do you hear the confidence? Do you hear the confidence? I know in whom I have believed and I know where I'm going. I know what happens next for me. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. In 2 Timothy 4.18, just a handful of verses further down, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's going to take me. It doesn't matter what comes. What evil comes doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. When evil comes, he's going to take me. He's going to protect me. And I'm going to go to heaven someday. That's the confidence that comes with a God vision. That's the fear breaking, stress breaking, anxiety breaking confidence that comes with a God vision in your life. Stay with me if you would, please. If perhaps anyone is wondering what God wants to accomplish in this message tonight, it is this. If we dictate the vision of our lives, we will struggle. And when we operate in the God vision for our lives, we will be at peace. Bad days are still going to come. People are still going to cause us pain. Our health is not always going to be there. Strength 
sometimes falter physically. But we will walk in the greatest peace that exists in this life. And I don't know what more anybody would want to be offered than that. To walk in the greatest peace that exists in this life. People say they want the good life. The only way I know to accomplish that is a God life. Get your God vision. Live your God vision. And you will have the good life. Would you lift your hands and begin to call upon the name of the Lord? In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.